Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, this is Tanisha, host of Wine School Dropout. I am so excited to be back. Thanks to your donations, we're bringing you a season two that goes beyond Wine 101 and takes you behind the scenes with wine folks around the world. So many things have happened in the world since last season, so this time around, we wanted to go a little further, highlighting the voices and work of people that share something in common with me, people of color working in the wine business. Whether they are crafting a wine in a country not their own, or building a wine brand around their own culture, everyone featured in this season has a unique perspective on our Wine School Dropout mantra. Wine is for all. I'm so excited to share these fascinating wine stories, all from people of color. Welcome to this season of Wine School Dropout, Wine Around the World Edition. In last season's episode, Wine Language, we talked about the different words wine professionals use to discuss and describe wine. But are those words actually helpful? Today, we talk with fellow wine educator, Curly Haslam Coates, about these words and what people really want to know about wine. Haslam Coates shares her unique approach to learning. Live in Tasmania, here is Curly Haslam Coates. Tasmania is a funny beast um, because we're quite, we're, in some ways we're very lucky and in other ways it's a bit of a challenge. But um, so we've had, I think, at least 70 days without COVID here. Wow. But to get a perspective, landmass size, we're about the size of Ireland, but um, real world sort of size, um, we've only got like half a million people. So we're, we're separate from the mainland of Australia. And so that's actually been really good for us because we went into lockdown hard and early. And, you know, it's of all of the places in the world to be stuck, Tasmania has been in some ways really lovely because we have great food. We've got wine. We've we've got things on the island. And also we have this amazing array of differently talented people. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's 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 fantastic. We have folks from all corners of the world who live down here, um, plus our amazing locals as well. And it's the kind of place where people go, oh, I wonder if I could do this. And then they do. There's something about it that's, that's very creative. Um, we have the annual Glover Painting Awards from when William Glover was first here. And we seem to attract a lot of artists because we have great light. And a lot of that is because the air is so pure 
we've got really good clean water a lot of the time we've got clean air we've got really beautiful food and because none of the farms are massive I know where my eggs came from I know my flowers from the mill in town I'm just sitting here still on the clean air clean water thing I'm like (laughs) clean fresh air like I don't (laughs) this sounds like a utopia I don't even know where this place is it sounds like Wakanda like I don't know there's a level of you know forever and everything but it's um, (laughs) you know there's 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 a little oh I don't know it's it's a really special place for me and with a lot of the wildness and things that this year has brought up um I'm just addressing a lot of things that I've been quite uncomfortable with since I moved here because obviously it is an Anglo colony and particularly Tasmania there was hideous genocide and I really struggle with the fact that people don't really talk about pre 200 300 years ago it's like don't pretend there's nothing here you know because we know that the human lineage goes back tens of thousands of years you know indigenous australians are thought to be the oldest sort of some of the oldest societies in the world you know sort of post-africa it's here and thinking that some of the places were some of the first places that humans made bread and there's just so much that's not talked about and unknown and I'm uh, yeah it's something that I really want to to get my head around and do better and know better with um in the future with a lot of the plans that I've got going forward. You mentioned you coming to Tasmania so you're not originally Tasmanian born and raised necessarily where were you born? Um, (laughs) Germany born in Germany but I was very tiny when I was there and because I'm an army brat, um, mm-hmm. but I've, I've lived in England for 30 odd years before I moved here. And I've been in Tassie the 10 years next month. And yeah. it is clearly working out for you. Clearly. Oh, look, it's been a roller coaster. I would be lying if I said it hadn't. It's been brutal at some times, but just incredible in others. But it's home. Yeah, I found my sense of place here. It's yeah, when I, visit, I visited on my Vintners bursary for the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. So I won the Vintners bursary in 2007 for my level three results and got the study trip of my choice. So that's my brief moment of academic glory over and done with. And I spent five days of that trip in Tassie and that was it. That was when I knew I had to come back and I'd found my home. Um, yeah. You are in Tasmania, but I did not properly introduce you. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? I am Curly Haslam Coates. I wear many, many hats, all under the umbrella of Vintage Tasmania. So I work for a local company running wine tours around the Tamar Valley. I teach the Wine and Spirit Education Trust here across Tasmania. Um, I curate the food and drink for a couple of festivals here in Tasmania. I, yeah, there's a lot of bits and pieces. I used to run the Locals Farmers Market, um, which was awarded Most Outstanding Farmers Market Australia twice. So it's everything food, drink and tourism. And depending on the day that you catch me, I'll be wearing a different hat. I mean, you have to do multiple things. Yeah. If 2020 has shown us nothing else is that you, you kind of have to have a, a few different interests, career-wise, hobbies, you have to have things. Absolutely. And also, I think nothing is singular. If you've worked hospitality or retail, I think most people know that you've, you've got to be able to do a few things, you know, because 
the hours that we work often that's a time where other businesses aren't open so I think we become quite self-sufficient you know as to fixing things fixing problems working at how to tide something over um it's yeah it's a skill isn't it yeah I think so now you teach uh WCT courses and then you also work in tourism and do tours how do you feel it's different because you're educating different types of consumers? I love, I, you know, I love all elements of what I do, mm-hmm. but there's something about the wine tours that is just joyous because it's taking people around and, and just making sure they have a really amazing day. So it's not school. I think if you talk to any of my students, I'm, I can be quite strict at times because I tell them, look, I, I've done my bits. I've, I've done this course or, you know, I've done my qualifications up to a certain point. So I'm good for the minute. I want to make sure that you can do this and that you can do it without me. Whereas when I'm doing the wine tours, that's very much about the, the enjoyment and the enhancement and being able to help people find their own voice to talk about what they like. So it's, yeah, it's quite different. It's quite different. Yeah, I noticed the same thing from whether it's teaching in the classroom or going on a tour, the level of interest, um, the way you have to talk about things, it's different. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think it's different pleasure. You know, the other day I had the joy of telling some of my students, oh, bless them, I had a couple of groups of results come through recently and loads of over 90%. And I get so excited when I get to make that either text or phone call or email. I'm just, I find that just, it's so exciting. And also, you know, meeting a student that I know is going to whoop my ass in skills and talent. Just, it's such a thrill meeting them because it's like, yeah, go on, go on with yourself. Just go and be as brilliant as you could be. I love it. education mean to you oh gosh everything everything because I think it's it's so much more than formal education like yes I've got my qualifications and I'm desperately proud of them and what they've given me is you know beyond words however I think it's so important to think about education outside of you know sort of school university and courses there's you know there there are so many more things that you can do and also that lovely curiosity that you get from do you know when you're a child and you're learning how to do things yes you should never lose that yeah it's just the did you know if you mix cornflour with water it goes all weird and it's it's such a beautiful moment isn't it like the first time a child sees that of just kind of but it's just flour and liquid and then it's Mm -hmm. this crazy non-newtonian fluid and you squish it and it's all hard and then you just hold it and it's all runny and that beautiful curiosity shouldn't ever really leave us and so I think education is so important because there's no there's no time limit to it there's no time or part of your life that is education it should all be that so yeah I'm, I'm sort of really passionate about you know I think the buzzword is lifelong learning because I just think it's we need different things at different times in our life. And so the capacity to keep learning and to adopt new information, if you think about the older generation, so those, you know, maybe 60s or 70s, when they talk about, oh, we can't do, we can't do this. I don't understand this technology. And I'm just like, hang on a minute. 
you've adapted to massive change throughout your life. Mm -hmm. This is just an extra thing. And once you shift that mental block of thinking that, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, suddenly everything is, is open again. And that's, I think, a much happier, better way to live. Do you find that people have that mental block when it comes to wine and that they are nervous or scared to ask questions? I think a huge part of that is because we're not always great to our consumers, which I find fascinating. And it's people are scared more than anything else. They're scared because of the status involved with talking about wine, being involved with wine. Sometimes it's literally also the financial implications of buying a bottle they don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's money wasted. So I love it when people realise that I'm not going to mock them and they start off with a little question and they're like, oh, oh, she's not laughing at me. She didn't tell me that was silly. And they asked me another question, another one, another one. And I'm like, yeah, come on, just, it's what I'm here for. Pick my, you know, pick my brains, I'm here. Um, but yeah, that confidence is really, really important. It's it's so easy, I think, for us sometimes in the trade to, you know, go, you know, scoff if people are like, oh, I like a sweet Moscato wine, or I like it just pink and fizzy. And people are like, <laughs> and it's just like, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> uh huh, um, because we all have dirty drinking secrets in our past, and we're going to keep them in the past. We're not going to talk about them. Okay. Uh, still, still now, there'll all be some time, you know, you'll be at an event somewhere like, so this is what I've got to choose from. Um, but we've all got to start somewhere. And, you know, you might be 55 and starting, you might be 18 and starting, or 35 and look 19. It, it, nobody deserves to be looked down on or mocked for questioning. And we do ourselves a disservice in the industry, I think, for for that and I, you know people say oh no I would never do that I know it's happened to me has it happened to you you know people look at me and they think I won't like certain things but that's good fun though mm-hmm. um I, I I'm not gonna lie I do quite enjoy winding people up so I ask them harder and harder questions but they've always gotten out because I'm like look I can do this all day um but I will do this to you until you cry if you don't stop talking down to me that's where we're at. You know, I'm talking down, thinking about wine language and the language you need to describe wines. Do you think that is still helpful and useful to this day? Or is that something that we should kind of be maybe encouraging people to speak in more, I don't know, regular words, quote unquote? I often tell my students I'm almost teaching them to be bilingual because the information you need um, professionally is often quite different to the person who stood in front of you buying wine if it's retail to take home or to drink that night. It's very different information that you need and also you need to find a common ground so that they're both talking about the same thing because if I said imagine a green bench what you've got in your head and what I've got in my head is not the same bench but if I talk about what sort of green it is what it's made from how big it is how many people can fit on it all of those things It's not perfect, but we're much closer together. And the language of production is so different to the language of consumption. And I think it's really important to be aware of that and to be able to not go, oh, it's all the foxy piracy. And you're like, can we say green peppers? (laughs) Because I feel we should say green peppers. 
I feel that it's, it's actually quite important that we, we realize that that information is so important when you're making wine, but once it's finished, we need different words to come in. And if we want to talk to a broad set of people, we need to use words with common understanding. Um, and then if need be, and they're interested to then qualify it, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Um, and especially from a standpoint, you mentioned being a bilingual in that sense, but being bilingual in that I am talking about or listening to wine, sometimes in English and sometimes in French. And yeah. the wine language that I use as an American and that uh, the French use is completely different. And yeah. so it's not even just like a direct translation because sometimes I'll directly translate and I'm like, I don't know what that means. But is, that, <laughs> is that addressing? Is that a, what is that? What I don't understand. But it's- so I had the mask issue here. So what do you think musk is? You know, musk, what do you, what do you think that is? Two different things. Like sometimes yeah. I think of musk as like, you didn't shower musk. But then I mm -hmm. also think of it as like a very, um, this is weird, like manly, woodsy kind of scent. Okay, so yeah, so we're very much on the same page of what musk means. It's the sort of thing that you know is in perfume blends. Yeah. Um, I remember in the 90s as a teenager, white musk was sold at the body shop. And so I'm teaching one day when my student says, oh, it's got a real musky smell. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, sorry what? Musk? And I was just like, no, no, definitely no. There's nothing, like say animalistic or, because it's that pheromonal sort of smell, isn't it? Yes. Okay, not here. A musk lolly is like a pink, um, I think they're a bit chalky. Somebody did bring me one once and it's disgusting. Some of them are a bit chalky and mothballs, you know, because I didn't grow up with it. I don't have that childhood sort of feeling about it. It's just right. gross to me. But um, but yeah, totally, totally different reference point. And, but that's why listening is so important though, when you're both teaching and generally, you know, on the more fun consumer contact side, listening is really, really important. Because yeah. you need to interpret people's thoughts. So it might be they're saying something sweet, but they might not mean sweet, they might mean fruity. Mm -hmm. Or don't give me one of those rough wines. What they actually mean is not cheap. They don't like tannin very much. And so it's actually listening to what people are, are saying and giving them words so that they can then ask for wines that they enjoy further down the line. And I think this goes back to something you said before um, about uh, curiosity and not being afraid to ask questions. I think as we get older, we don't ask questions as much and we feel a certain way about asking questions. But this is a prime example. Like you were like, wait, what's that smell? Well, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, if you don't understand something, ask a question. And uh, uh, I try to make people feel as comfortable as possible and sometimes to a fault and they ask me every one question they ever had in their life and so I'm like okay hold on you might need to send me an email can you force your point send it like this is a lot um yeah. but being able to uh feel comfortable asking questions listening to them and then being able to answer their questions so they can go away feeling comfortable feeling more informed and empowered 
to be able to buy their own wine, order wine yeah. in a restaurant, all of those things. Absolutely. And also to let people know, it's just like, actually, from what you told me, I'm not sure you're going to love that wine. And so the lovely thing is, you know, those opportunities when wine's open that you can give them a little taste. Like, look, I'm going to give you a taste of this one and tell me what you think, but I'm not sure from what you've been telling me that's where you're at and steering them to something else. And also sometimes it's about not spending as much money because people often think that they have to buy the fancy wine with the name when actually you're going, yeah, everything you've told me means that that isn't your cup of tea. Mm -hmm. You actually like something a little easier, smoother and simpler of which there is nothing wrong with. Have you been dreaming of sitting in a wine bar in Paris again? Well, why not purchase the ebook 75 in the 75? 75 wine bars to visit in Paris when you return. All of my wine bar recommendations and pictures in one place. Tons of photos of the city of light. Classic or natural wines, big euros or centimes, we've got all tastes covered in this wine guide. For purchase, visit my website, www.girlmeetsglass.com and select 75 in the 75 wine guide. The only thing I try to steer people away from is always thinking um, that, like some people have their minds stuck in a certain price point. Like they will not go above this price point. And uh, I'm like, well, you're doing yourself a disservice if you will only buy wine in the five to $7 range. You will only get a certain level of wine. Now, once you find something you like, because um, I feel like people who stick in that range have things that they aren't sure they like or they just kind of like. So they're only yeah. willing to put out $7 maximum because they're like, I just like it. Okay. Because when it comes to, say, um, bourbon or tequila, nobody is getting the $10 tequila. You're buying the 35 the 40 You're not arguing about it. And you're not talking about it. You're not going over the notes and the hints of flavor. You're just drinking it. I don't even know if a lot of people like it or not. They just drink it. (laughs) But when it comes to wine, they feel like they have to study and assess. Yes, you do have to have a certain level of knowledge and be able to articulate some things that you like about it because there is so much of it. But don't don't cheap out on it. Exactly. Come on, the wine police aren't coming to get you. It doesn't matter if you hate it. Um, you know that's and also I say to people as well is if you hate something if you really dislike certain things get some words behind why you don't like it because that in itself is really important to be able to say I really don't enjoy wines that are really full-bodied really intensely fruity um, with lower acidity because that means that for us who are at work we can just wipe a load of stuff off the table and go right okay we'll ignore all of those things let's go this side yeah um but the fun thing about being able to open bottles so i used to work at majestic wines in the uk and we had a tasting counter best thing in the world um is that you can just give something to somebody and go what do you reckon and that's it what do you reckon that your cup of tea um and yeah there's there's so much that you can i think gain from that really simple well just have a taste because you know you're talking about that price point that people can be stuck on 
that's where you can kind of go, well, look, have a taste. This is what an extra $4 gets you. So you can see how it does this in your mouth and you can see how, you know, you feel like you're drooling a bit and you got that real. So this is why this happened. And to have those kind of conversations is, is really lovely because you can do it in quite a relaxed fashion. Especially at uh, a tasting because people have already come to you wanting to taste wine. And so they're looking for something. Um, I feel like people aren't able to take advantage of when someone is in a place to learn. But when they're at a tasting, they're at a wine shop. Okay, you have an opportunity here. You know this person is interested. The other day on Twitter, somebody was saying about how hard it is to sell Viognier and Gewürz. And it sort of made me giggle because when when I was in the York store, we had a waiting list for both those grapes. Um, and mainly it was just because we would have things on the tasting counter and you'd say to people like, what do you reckon with that? You know, got something new on, have a taste. Have you had one of those before? And that was largely how we sold most of it. And people were like, I like that wine that you gave me. That was good. I enjoyed it. And so be like, right, cool. And get to know people. And, you know, because of how it was all set up, we had a customer database and everything. So it literally would be, all righty, we didn't get that in all the time. I will call you when it arrives. And yeah, there would be points where 72 bottles of Gewürz of different producers, I'd be like, right, I've only got a few of these. I've got some of those, some of those, but it wouldn't even make it onto the shop floor because we took away the scary, I think. That's my assessment of the situation. I think we took the scary out of it. And so it was just like, I like that, that one with the, because yeah, sometimes they could say it and sometimes we're like, right, beyond yay. <laughs> well, Yolumba here are, you know, Yolumba in Australia, you know, they are my go-to for Viognier at every price point from entry to yeah. crazy. Love, love, love it. But they did an advertising campaign. It would have been a good 10, 11 years ago. If not, I've got to be even 15. Um, and it literally was how to say Viognier V on. Yay! And it was fun. Actually, the saying of the word and then also the flavor profile with it being aromatic, with it being very flavorful. Um, I'm not sure if everyone is ready or likes a wine that flavorful at first. But that to me, that's kind of the point, though, is, you know, again, I'm just going to refer back to a lot of when I'm teaching stuff is I often will say to my students, yeah, I don't care if you like it or not. Tell me what's happening in the glass because this wine's not necessarily for you. Because there are things that I really could happily do without because um, they're not my cup of tea, but that's not the point. My job is to help other people. I can pick my own wine, I'm good. And that doesn't mean I still won't try the things that I'm a bit, yeah, I'll always give it a go. But um, yeah, no, it's really important to me. Like you've just got to find the people for whom those spicy, crazy, a bit fuller and oily, but not as acidic, but a bit boozy there are people that's their jam so you find them you talk to them and you're like yeah there you go there's your market for your funky viognes are you able to kind of um help people along with their things they enjoy things they like when you relate it to food when you put wine and food together is that something that you try oh look for me there is no wine without food there's no food without wine I wouldn't be in this industry if it wasn't for my home ec teacher when I was, what, 13? Oh, probably even younger than that. Probably would have been 12, 11. Um, because she was fantastic. And that's where I found my 
oh, I understand this. And yeah, my, my world smells and it tastes. That's how a huge part of how I understand the world. So even when I travel to different places, one of the first things I do is I kind of get myself used to the smells of a place. That's how I see things. So for me, when I think about food, the wine is an extension of that. And when I think about wine, what I will cook is an extension of the wine itself. So it's, uh, it's together. It's, yeah, it's always together. And also, but I, it's important, I think, to tell people that sometimes what you've got in the cupboard and the bottle of wine that you've got don't work. And you kind of have to go, look, maybe have a glass, glass of wine when you're cooking, eat your tea, then go back to your wine. Like, that's actually fine, you know. And so another thing that I encourage people to do is work with terrible combinations. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And, you know, a wine that should be silky smooth and fruity and delicious. If you've got a Kit Kat at the same time. <laughs> but if you don't know that they're interacting with each other, you know, it's quite an extreme sort of version, then how would you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't know when you're at home cooking that, you know, you're tasting this and you're just like, man, why does my dinner just taste bitter? It's all get out and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, the wine, the food is not bad. It's about put the wine aside, get a glass of water, deal with your dinner, get back to the wine. Um, yeah, those things are important, I think. Playing, I like to play with food and drink as well. It's, we don't play enough when it comes to wine. Because do you cook? Do you do you enjoy cooking? Yeah, I do. At least I used to. Because I'm quite a big fan of just seeing if stuff will work. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like, give it a go. Yeah. And sometimes it's awful and sometimes it's good. Um, but I think that play element's really important because that's also a really good way of working out your own palate and understanding. There are so many things, I think, at play with food and wine together. And texture, texture is hugely important as well. If you don't like certain textures, you're gonna have some issues with some certain wines because you know that lovely, I enjoy that oily fattiness of a Gewurz, but I totally get why somebody would hate it. You know, they want that fresh, crisp, just sort of feeling in the mouth, that zippy feeling. And Gewurz is not gonna bring you that. Sometimes I want the fresh, the crisp, but then other times I want that fatty, that oily. Um, it depends on my mood. It depends on what I'm eating. It depends yep. on the weather, the time of year. For me, there's so many factors that go into it. Yeah. And sometimes we don't talk about those day-to-day factors mm-hmm. of just being cross or gossiping wine is a term that I love because there are some wines that are gossiping wines. I need to find my gossiping wine. Oh, yes. oh gossiping wines are the best because they are the ones where you don't want to sit and talk about the wine. You want to sit and talk to your friends. And you don't want to be distracted by the delicious, amazing complexity of flavors in your glass. You just need simple, delicious fun. What is a good example of a gossiping wine? Um, oh, you know, Paul Mass. Uh, I, I'm generally a huge fan across the board, but I really like the accessibility of a lot of the wines. I mean, the estate ones start getting, you know, more complex, but there's a really good accessibility. The other one I would say is the Cordonier Classico Carver which is their 1881. It's fairly simple. It's not the Anna, it's not this, it's not the other one. Um, and I think it's still the three traditional car- carver grapes, but it's always an absolute steal. It's a bargain um, and it's delicious and it's really drinkable. It's got great acidity, but not too much. 
everything about it is just really well balanced it's got that lovely grassini biscuitiness that you get with you know because it's got that traditional method at least nine months on its lees and yeah it's cheap as chips so it's it's something that you're also not going to look at your friends going oh my gosh you're just necking that amazing wine because that's also very distracting isn't it so you need you need good gossiping lines that you're just like yeah fill your glass have a chat seeing you you're the important thing here not talking about this wine yeah, that's good enough to continue drinking, but not so good that you want to stop and be like, wow, what is this? What are yeah. these flavors in my mouth? Exactly. And also, you know, the, the lovely thing as well is if you can find some good wines around that really comfortable price point as well is I like to call them sacrificial wines. So you're drinking with your friends that might not necessarily normally drink wine. And it's just kind of like, look, if I go over and we don't open this, I'm good. I'm good because I'm here for your company and the evening not so that we can drink this particular wine together. If I don't get to drink this, I'm fine. And I do do this. I will walk in somebody's house, opening the bottle of wine as I come. If I'm just like, yeah, we're drinking this, by the way, just so you know. Um, if it's something that I really want to drink with them, like that's not going in anybody's cupboard. I brought this to have with you. So, yeah. Understanding the different sort of reasons and needs for when you're drinking a bottle of wine is important as well. Well, yeah. thank you so much for talking to me today. Pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wine School Dropout. You can find more info and follow Curly on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Vintage Tasmania. When the world opens back up and you'd like to take a tour with her or take a class, she says the best way to get that info is to Google Vintage Tasmania. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochenta, hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Our sound editor is Luis Raul Lopez Levi. Our theme was done by Gabriel Dalmaso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram and check out ochintastudio.com for full transcripts of this and every episode of the show. See you next week. Yeah.